Good evening. My name is James Kerr Lindsay. On behalf of the European Institute and Lisi Research on Southeast Europe here at the London School of Economics, let me welcome you all um, to this talk this evening, which is part of the APCO Worldwide Perspectives on Europe series. Our guest speaker this evening is Dr. Simeon Jankov, Deputy Prime Minister and Minister of Finance in Bulgaria. Prior to his cabinet appointment, Minister Jankov was Chief Economist of the Finance and Private Sector Pri Vice Presidency of the World Bank. In his 14 years at the World Bank, he worked on regional trade agreements in North Africa, enterprise restructuring and privatization in transition economies, corporate governance in East Asia, and regulatory reforms around the world. In 1997, he participated in the World Bank Enterprise Restructuring Project in Georgia. Since 2004, after the Rose Revolution, he has visited Georgia frequently and worked with the government on reforming the business environment. He is also known as the creator of the Doing Business series, the top-selling publication of the World Bank Group. Dr. Jankov was principal author of the World Development Report of 2002. In addition to his professional background, he's also a, a, a world-renowned economist. He holds a PhD in economics from the University of Michigan at Ann Arbor and has published over 70 articles in academic journals, including Quarterly Journal of Economics, Journal of Political Economy, American Economic Review, Journal of Finance, Journal of Financial Economics, Journal of Economic Growth, Journal of Public Economics, and the Journal of Comparative Economics. He is ranked amongst the 100 most cited economists in the world according to Ideas Repec. The topic of the Minister's speech this evening is, what has the financial crisis taught Europe? Minister, thank you. Thank you very much. I'll start with a little tour around the world, starting from uh, Washington, D.C., three years ago and then ending up with uh, the topic of the day which is uh, Dublin, Ireland and try to connect these three years and these different locations to try to explain two things, uh, how we ended up where we are today in terms of financial crisis, Europe, the topic would be mostly Europe, and then pointing out some uh, thoughts of what this crisis has taught us, not necessarily uh, about where we are going to be heading, but at least what questions we need to ask in order to head in the right direction this time, or at least in the direction which is better than the previous direction this time around. I plan to speak for about 25 minutes, so we have a lot of time for questions. At the start of the recent economic uh, crisis, uh, I was still, as you just heard, at the World Bank in Washington, D.C., and then uh, chief economist for financial development of the world, so I had, uh, I guess, the interesting job. I was one of the few people at the World Bank who were observing what's happening around the world, not just in Europe, but around the world, and where the crisis is uh, hitting first, second, third, uh, what were the manifestations of the financial crisis, and uh, so on. And uh, having, uh, having this view, which was the, a World Bank uh, economist looking at the global picture, uh, the first uh, comments coming from Europe were actually quite um, different uh, from the comments that we get now. Namely, that once the crisis started breaking out, uh, uh, it was thought that this is basically a U.S. crisis, and not just a U.S. crisis, but a U.S. 
banking crisis. And I remember distinctly uh, roughly three years uh, ago when the first comments coming from Europe were basically, see, the Americans screwed up again, and see, our type of capitalism is better than uh, the American type of capitalism. And this wasn't just talked kind of by random people. Uh, Sarkozy at the time made a very uh, comment roughly along the lines of what I uh, mentioned. There were similar comments from uh, German politicians, economists, British politicians and economists. Uh, all around, basically, there was almost this feeling that this time the US screwed up and we Europeans were smarter than, uh, than uh, there. Even then, that was roughly, uh, this was quite strange because if you, if you were following the financial crisis, uh, you would have known that while they certainly were trouble in the subprime mortgage markets and actually some other financial markets in, uh, in the US, the crisis actually broke out from London. I don't know how many people remember and followed this, but, but it was actually the London office of, uh, of a U.S. investment uh, company that basically couldn't clear their deals. And, and the U.S. office thought, okay, these guys cannot clear the deals, cut them out of the picture, basically, of the transactions. It was wrongly or rightly thought that this means that uh, trade relations and transactions relations between um, London and uh, New York were not going to go well, other banks panicked, and basically the crisis broke, broke out that way. It really broke out out of lawyers, in fact, not finance people in London, um, either out of confusion or out of some, something else, um, not doing their part of the transactions at, uh, at the time. Uh, I'm saying this not to say that London was, uh, has fingers in all major financial crises, but to make the point that even at the beginning it was known that uh, at least the British banking sector or the London-based banking se sector would suffer quite significantly. And indeed it did suffer. What was not known at the time was how much um, German banks, Spanish banks, or financial institutions rather, not just uh, banks. Uh, we later learned about Icelandic uh, municipalities that had invested in this kind of subprime uh, bonds and so on. So basically Europe was actually quite involved in this crisis from, uh, from the beginning. Uh, most people and certainly most politicians just didn't know about it at the time. And once the crisis developed, little by little, we now forget what happened in Iceland because it sounds like it happened a long, long time ago. It happened two and a half years ago, and that was actually the first country we now talk about Greece, we talk about uh, Ireland, uh, but actually the first European country, although not a member of the European community, that uh, suffered tremendously because of this financial crisis is in fact Iceland. Uh, it uh, had invested, uh, some of its banks had invested quite heavily in uh, this type of um, financial paper, and, uh, and then they suffered as... Uh, suffered as a result. So the first point I want to make is that Europeans first sort of almost had fun saying, see, the Americans did something wrong, and then they quite quickly realized, in fact, this is a global crisis, and we are as much in it as, uh, as, uh, as uh, them. What wasn't known at the time and what we see now, I'll return to this at the, at the end of my uh, comments, is that that European institutions, unlike the American institutions, were just not ready for this kind of, for dealing with this kind of crisis, for a variety of reasons that many of the European institutions we'll talk about today uh, are fairly new. They had to negotiate and um, 
and deal with a number of governments, some reasonable, many not reasonable governments and politicians among Europeans, I mean. And uh, as a result, we, ha we have had and still have a much tougher task than uh, a larger, uh, even federal country, but still larger like the US to go through the, through the crisis. And I think this is very important to see in what followed, because in the US, the crisis was quickly recognized. There was a discussion, do we bail out banks, do we not bail? There was some confusion with some stark consequences for some bankers and for some part of the banking industry. But basically the US, let's say financial and politically elite, quickly figured out this is a major crisis. So we need to forget capitalism for a while and go socialist. And essentially the US quickly became one of the most prominent socialist economies for the last two or three years by bailing out everybody who was, uh, who was, uh, uh, who was around. Doing it very quickly, printing a lot of dollars and hoping that they are uh, confused enough investors around the world to actually buy dollars and this actually proved by and large right. So lots of people bought dollars and continue buying dollars that were printed in the US and uh, what was engineered there was essentially a large bailout not only of the banking industry but again by now some of you may have forgotten but the whole car industry was uh, bailed out. Uh, a lot of the insurance industry was bailed out, uh, actually a number of sectors. And roughly this, this worked. Basically the Americans, the, the government was saying that yes, we're still a capitalist society, but you know, this is a crisis that is larger than us. And it's better, I, I still remember the comments um, at the time I was working a bit uh, with some of your colleagues at uh, Harvard University and Lawrence Summers, uh, who I think was, has just become an advisor to the current President Obama, was saying that in crisis, people or markets rather overreact, and as a result, policies, politicians should overreact too. So as a result, if you see something happening, you know some of it in crisis, some of it is irrational, so you go way overboard, in this case printing dollars way overboard what you would have done, and you overreact to calm people down. And this comment, Please remember this comment that in crisis markets overreact, you should overreact as a policymaker too, because this is exactly what Europe didn't do. And as a result, we sort of allowed Greece to last for too long before there was a resolution. At the end, the resolution was much larger than was necessary. We waited too long to figure out which other countries may have, may need some support, and as a result, we now see Ireland, and if we wait a bit too long, you may see another one or two countries going the same uh, way, simply because there was not enough of uh, a response early on, uh, early on in the crisis. Now, you could argue, as I, as I just mentioned, that it's easier to have a response in a, in a single country, large as in the United States, but still a single country, a single government, and it's a lot more difficult to have such a, a response especially a drastic response in uh, United Europe where while there is a council and a parliament and a commission and so on, you still in the end need 27 finance ministers to meet and discuss, 27 prime ministers or heads, heads of government to discuss the commission and so on. So I think to some extent you can blame Europeans, to some extent you can say well United Europe is united in many ways but it's not, still not a single government and there isn't a single entity that can decide today we do something drastic that if times were karma we would have waited a bit and uh, and uh, thought uh, thought about it so europe reacted a lot slower than did the us well the us already went through 
the bailout of the banking sector, some um, help or assistance, let's say, mildly to other sectors. Europe was still meeting, discussing whether we should uh, tighten fiscal uh, policies, uh, whether we should uh, basically let the crisis develop and then decide what a response to have, whether different countries should have different responses, which was a very popular discussion and a very meaningful discussion because some countries made the point, well, we already have large deficits, so if we expand fiscally now, we don't know to what extent our, our budget can hold. At that time, there wasn't a stabilization mechanism, stabilization fund in Europe. Yet, uh, that's a very recent phenomenon of the last six months, roughly. So it wasn't actually known what would happen if a Eurozone country blows up. Basically, there was no backing, fiscal backing, that is, from, uh, from the Commission. So that's why there was at least a year, I would say a year and a half of, uh, let's say, not exactly confusion, but more like a daisical uh, response of either country by country deciding what to do or discussing a lot but not agreeing on, uh, on uh, anything. Uh, for economists and historians perhaps, economic historians, this is actually very useful because 20, 30 years from now we can go back and say Germany did this, Portugal did this, Ireland did this, let's see basically what happened after that and let's see which policies we should follow in the future. So I think for research purposes Europe uh, did some very interesting things. For, um, for um, sort of uh, public policy purposes, perhaps also interesting, uh, uh, also interesting to see. But for fighting financial crisis, not, you know, this, this showed, no, we're not really ready. Both we're not ready as institutions, and we're not ready in terms of the model when one follows uh, in, uh, in a crisis. Well, the Americans had the model, and the model was markets overreact, we overreact too, and everybody comes down because they know that the government ultimately is the strongest player um, in, uh, in any economy, and we have enough resource. And this is true of Europe as well. If you think about it, the European Central Bank could have also, together with the Commission, said we're also going to print euro until everybody is very quiet, and this would have roughly worked like it did in, um, like it did in the U.S., but, but Europe was not prepared, and this is why where we, we are today. Now, in retrospect, and this started becoming very obvious in the middle of this summer when the Greek, um, at the time it wasn't called a crisis, um, since Europeans are milder mannered than Americans talking about these things, but let's say a situation, the Greek situation was developing, and uh, the first discussions among finance ministers certainly was, um, well, there are gaps in, in institutions in Europe, so we need to fill in some gaps of institutions. Uh, and actually for a while, for a few months, um, this was the main discussion, not what the size of the Greek package should be, how it should be structured, and so on. And in particular, it was thought, rightly so, but maybe at the wrong time, that we need a common, meaning European um, supervisor for banks, we need a European supervisor for insurance companies, we need a European supervisor for uh, stock markets or capital markets roughly. These things that exist in, um, in the US, exist in Japan, exist in China and so on, but do not exist in United Europe. So the thought was, well, supervision was bad and therefore let's build supervision. Again, a very good idea, a needed one. We're in the process now of building this uh, 
institutions if, in fact, the European Union gets its budget for 2011. Uh, but uh, it was just kind of in the midst of a crisis of a particular country, nonetheless, uh, Greece, that uh, Europe spent uh, a few weeks, let's say, a couple of months discussing what institutions are necessary. And in the end, yes, it's good that we have the structure of these institutions. Um, as usual in Europe, there, I'm sure there has been and will be a lot of discussion of who would lead them, whether it would be a French or German or Finnish and so on. Some time will be spent on, uh, on that. Anyways, budget for 2011 will even have these institutions. By then, of course, the crisis by and large would have gone by for the European Union as a whole, and we'll not need these institutions until the next crisis, but better still have, have these, um, these institutions. But what's important to know that while it's good to have institutions, it's not like Europe didn't have any institutions. In fact, um, what people should have been asking, and a few countries did start asking this uh, questions, including Bulgaria, was, well, actually we had Eurostat, the European Statistical Office, that was supposed to have good data, was supposed to go visit countries, check on their data, ask questions, and so on, but apparently it didn't, or at least it didn't do it very well, otherwise we wouldn't have these huge surprises in, uh, in Greece, if you remember the uh, the Greek uh, deficit story. It started with a deficit for 2009 of 6%, then it went to 8%, 11%, 13%, and we just learned that it's uh, over 15%. So basically there were five revisions of one country's, uh, one country's deficit in, uh, in the course of about a year. It's hard to think of a serious institution that would have missed such a big difference between 6% and 15 and 1.5%. Uh, there's also the European Commission, the so-called ECFIN department, where finance ministers meet every month, and sometimes twice a month, that is supposed every year for members of the Eurozone to have what's called um, uh, the stabilization program. Um, and then for non-Eurozone non, non members like uh, Bulgaria, the convergence program. Uh, where basically the, every country every year describes what are their fiscal policies, monetary policies, structural policies, and so on, and describes not only that year, but the next three years. Um, and of course, every country, including Greece, including Ireland, Portugal, Spain, and so on, have been doing this for a while. So it seems then that even the commission, they didn't read these reports, or the reports were awfully off track, so basically by reading them, Somehow in Brussels they didn't figure out that actually these countries are in real trouble. But the commission itself, well, it now basically offers the solution of let's bring a lot of supervisory bodies that we don't have. In fact, the good question is well, what did you do at the time? You're writing reports, reading reports. There's a lot of bureaucrats in Brussels whose only job is to do that, and somehow they collectively, collectively um, failed. There is also the European Central Bank, which also is supposed to follow every country's uh, uh, policies every month to issue a report and so on. So while in a crisis you can always say, well, crises are such uh, random events, especially a global crisis like this one, it certainly is the biggest one in essentially since the Second World War, it's kind of hard to argue that collectively so many people missed, uh, missed uh, the crisis especially since there was such large variation across European Union countries in terms of the deficit over the last few years, the size of the debt to GDP ratio and some other, uh, the size of uh, GDP growth over time, 
and so on. And somehow that was all missed. The reason I'm saying that is that while it's good to have some of these supervisory institutions that we will now build, I doubt that they will help for the next crisis. It would be good. There will be more numbers. Lots of conferences will go around from Lisbon to Sofia to wherever else, Milan and so on. But basically, the next crisis, I think, will be as prepared the way it's going as, uh, as to, to this crisis. Um, but we can argue about, uh, about this. So Greece comes. There is a resolution in, um, I think it was early or mid-July. I remember because a number of the finance ministers, at least, were on summer breaks. And at first, when we got calls, we thought, is this for real that I need to come back for Brussels and stay there a few days? It was for real, so we lost our summer holidays. Uh, had some discussions, some people argued, then we left, then we came again, and so on. But basically, there was uh, a resolution. This stabilization fund was set up. Um, uh, the Greek package was put together, and it seemed like it worked very well. For a few months, it was actually very quiet. And I remember just a couple of months ago meeting my... Uh, finance minister's colleagues in Brussels, we, we sort of all thought the Christ for this year is gone, next year is something else, so we'll have good holidays at least, Christmas and uh, so on. Because indeed, about a couple of months ago, if you made a poll among the finance ministers who are supposed to know these things, nobody thought that actually something would happen in November or December, or at least if they thought, they were very good at hiding it. Um, I myself also didn't think, well, we knew that some countries are sort of in uh, more difficult circumstances. We didn't think that they were in as difficult circumstances as, um, uh, as it was. Fortunately, after the summer, some countries basically said, enough of that. We are fed up sort of bringing the whole union, um, or let's say the less disciplined members of the union. So we need a lot stricter uh, discipline inside. Uh, that was uh, initially the Netherlands, then Germany joined, Sweden, even though, even though not a member of the Eurozone itself, a member of the EU27, Finland, and then some odd countries like Bulgaria and Slovakia, uh, from time to time Poland, simply because we, th we think, still think, I do, as a finance minister, that uh, we should have a lot stricter uh, fiscal policy in each country in the European Union, and then in the European Union itself. So then between, let's say, August and October, there were a number of ideas. Actually, some of them are still around. Some of them called crazy at the time, anti-constitutional, non-European, which is a good anytime that a fiscal idea is called non-European. That means a very good idea, so we should really consider it. Um, but uh, most of these ideas were coming, at least officially, were coming from Germany. And you remember some of them, that if a member country is not, uh, I'm paraphrasing, but not serious enough in its fiscal policy, it simply should be expelled, should not uh, be expelled from the Eurozone. That was too extreme. People thought then the idea was, well, it should not have voting rights, which was also thought to be very extreme, but a bit more possible. Then there should be penalties. Uh, for people who have higher debt and higher deficit than, let's say, the EU average. That seemed like a reasonable idea. Suddenly, France joined in on that idea, which was very surprising, including for the Germans, I think. Um, but uh, slowly, there was some idea that, OK, we need, to, we need to be all serious. So we cannot just say, well, that happened. But Greece, OK, we all knew that Greece is kind of a Mediterranean country. and. Um, 
that's okay, but then, uh, you know, for other countries maybe it wouldn't happen, and then there were some other countries that it seemed like it may happen. So there is some seriousness, and out of this seriousness, something will come out. So we continue meeting every month. In December, unlike what we all thought, we have two or even three meetings, I think, uh, uh, which, is, uh, which is to say that uh, we want, by the end of this year, to have all these new rules, let's say penalties and so on, for uh, lax uh, fiscal uh, uh, behavior, so we can all go to Christmas and New Year celebrations a bit more relieved. Um, so something good would happen, uh, uh, would happen out of that as well. And in the meantime comes Ireland. As I said at least two months ago, I doubt that many people expected among the experts that, um, that this would uh, happen. And if you think about it, actually, in the last two or three weeks, nothing serious happened that would have led us to believe what uh, to the basically resolution or the developments of the last uh, week. In other words, if you go back, let's say a month and think in the last month what happened either in Ireland or the European community uh, as a whole European Union, I don't think that you can point to a particular event that uh, happened and say therefore this is what uh, happened in Ireland. What I'm saying, in other words, is that we all knew that Ireland is too overexposed, but so is Portugal, so is Spain, and then you can actually list a few other countries that are not in as much of an exposure, but let's say have also high exposures. The only thing that I can think of that, uh, that happened in the last two or three weeks is actually the what's called the fall report of Eurostat that actually showed that Greece and a couple of other countries, but mostly Greece, had again misreported their budget, uh, uh, budget deficit. Uh, and it went from 13.6%, no, 13.2% to 15.4%, so more than two percentage points. That, I think, is, was widely sort of discussed about a couple of weeks ago. And as far as I can think, this is actually the only thing that, uh, that uh, has happened. And maybe the German comments that I just told you that, okay, countries that are not serious should either be expelled or their vote should be taken out or they should have some penalties. But the latter one is not directly related to any, in fact, it's good for the union overall. So I wouldn't think that it's triggered something. Going from Greece and saying, well, therefore, some other countries may also misreport, I also think is actually quite far-fetched. So what I'm saying is nothing actually happened in the last month, and yet suddenly we're in this big discussion on, uh, on uh, Ireland, uh, and it gets to the point where the markets think, apparently, that Ireland is in big trouble. The Irish policymakers at first say, no, we think that we can pull through. But by and large, after a week or two of turmoil, we get to the resolution that we've gotten in the last, uh, in the last couple of uh, days. I can tell you that from... Uh, finance minister perspective or European Union finance minister perspective, what was more troubling and will be in the next few weeks and that's still unresolved is, so we had Greece, it's a particular case, let's say a Mediterranean economy with some peculiarities. Then we have Ireland which is, which, whose banking sector is very overexposed, but so are some others actually. So that, uh, that gets a resolution. And then you start figuring, well, between these two countries, are there some other countries that have similarities? And you actually do point out certainly to Portugal, which now is starting to be discussed quite a bit. But actually a couple of other countries who, who I'm no, not going to name so that the next lecture is not about how the next financial crisis started from this, uh, 
from this uh, hall, but actually there's a few other countries that are sort of in between. And then you wonder, it's good to have Greece resolved, it's good to have, Port uh, excuse me, Ireland resolved, um, because this gives now some confidence that if there is another country, the European Union overall can resolve it quickly, because while well, Greece took roughly eight months to come to a resolution, Ireland took about two weeks, so we certainly sped up. So if there is, uh, I hope not, but if there is another country, we have some confidence that it can be resolved in a week to, um, to 10 days, which is good. But what people were really worried is that there will be some sequence of events uh, where a country goes, it's like a domino effect. One country goes, analysts cannot figure out exactly where it's going, so they overreact. I go back to the previous comment, European governments as a whole cannot quite figure out what's happening, so they don't overreact, they say it's just one country, so they don't act together, and then suddenly two or three countries go. I think this is on everybody's mind, it's not spoken much, um, uh, but this is on everybody's mind. And this is why I think it's very good to have Ireland resolved in such a quick, uh, quick manner. I think few governments would have uh, done it to their credit so well as uh, did the Irish uh, government. And my hope is, or at least my confidence is, that this would stop the domino effect that otherwise would have, uh, would have uh, happened. I'll, I'll finish just with a couple of comments which are out of the financial crisis, but I think actually constitute the major question that uh, remains unanswered uh, from what we've seen in the last uh, year, year and a half. So we roughly know, now know, have some answers on what's happening in terms of fiscal stability in the European Union. We have some mechanism. It's now tested with Ireland. It worked reasonably fast and I think reasonably well. So if God forbid another country comes, at least the mechanism itself works. Um, uh, we have some new institutions which we didn't previously have. We can argue whether this is a great thing or just a good thing. I think it's a good thing uh, that European institutions are, are developing. But I think what this crisis actually has left us is a much deeper question and since the London School of Economics is about deeper questions, not only economic but also philosophical, here's the deep question for me, uh, which is that Ireland, in the mind of certainly most Europeans and certainly most non-Europeans, was thought to be the one precise economic model of good development over the last 20 years. In other words, if you ask non-Europeans, Give me an example, and certainly economists, of a European economy that sort of decided what to do and willfully implemented policy year after year and actually did it. It's Ireland. We do not have another example of, of a sort of a economic success story in, uh, in Europe. We have, of course, periods of success in Italy, in Germany, and so on, but you can argue that it was... Um, well, that it wasn't that willfully for one reason or another, it just happened. There was good uh, global markets for Germany, for example, or in Italy it was despite the role of government that it developed over periods of time. But if you think of um, one country's story that sort of exemplifies what Europe can do, that was actually Ireland. And now that's gone. So without Ireland, we need to think very long and very hard do we have another success story. And I don't think actually that Europe currently can point to another success story. And that's very troubling because um, Asia can point to a lot of success stories. The US can point to a lot of success stories certainly over its long history and then in parts of uh, the US, high technology and so on. 
And we're sort of left in the dark saying, well, we can either say the usual thing that uh, Europeans, especially politicians, say, well, Europe doesn't need a successful story because we are the Asian civilization, we are special, we have uh, better coffee than you have, we have baguettes and um, smelly cheese and so on, so we basically don't need a good economic uh, model. But for me, the most troubling thing is not so much the resolution of the financial crisis, because financial crises come and go, there is some um, ruin, but after that, uh, society has shown that it's resilient and can pick up, is that we actually don't have a good European economic model to follow. Um, and where are we going to look for this economic model? If we think, and I'll finish with this, if we think of what the um, Irish economic model was purported to be, a lot of focus on human resource development, education, foreign direct investment into high technology, so you bring basically a lot of foreign direct investment that works for you to create jobs, low corporate taxes, low income taxes uh, overall, a lot of focus on exporting. And that actually, for every economist, reasonable economist, would say this is actually a very meaningful model. But somewhere it went wrong and it blew up. What other models do we have around uh, Europe that are that uh, can be used for the average country. Well, we can say that the German model comes next, so slow and steady, you just produce lots of good cars, and over time, um, over time these cars do, do well for you, but you know, that doesn't quite work for most countries. Uh, there are only so many BMWs that, uh, that can be produced. So I'll leave you, actually, I don't have an answer to this uh, uh, question. I'll leave you with that. That, to me, is the more troubling question, that we as Europeans, don't actually have a model to, um, to follow, but hopefully someone in this room, someone in, at LSE uh, will find that, and the next uh, time we meet, uh, we'll discuss that. Thank you. Thank you very much indeed. Um, we now have about 15 to 20 minutes for questions. I'll take them in batches of three. Um, in order to allow the most people to comment and ask um, questions, can you please keep any um, comment statements very short? Um, I see a gentleman just there. And um, could you also wait for the microphone to get to you? Thank you. Hi. I uh, just wanted to come back to something you mentioned about Perhaps how in the you last. Identify yourself. Sorry, I, you. my name is Garrick, and I'm an American from uh, the Econ Economic History Department here. Thank you for coming. Um, within the last four weeks, there was a proposal put forward by the Germans to have private market participation in any future um, defaults, and and of course, you know, after the market got concerned, the Germans came out and said that it would be, you know, not until 2013 that this would take place. I think it was Simon Johnson. Um, former IMF chief economist and MIT professor who said that if, if bond, bondholders can see where a Ponzi scheme kind of ends, um, they're really good at kind of counting backwards, and that's what triggered the crisis. I was just wondering if you could comment on, on that observation. Thanks. Thank you. Um, gentleman just here. Thank you very much for your uh, presentation. I do have some ideas, but perhaps um, some other time. Um, I know we're here to talk about the financial crisis, but as you're the finance minister for Bulgaria, perhaps I could indulge a bit. When I was in your country 13 years ago, never did, did I expect that uh, 13 years later, your country would be the one with no debt in Ireland and Greece, the ones in trouble. But there are challenges. <coughs> and I've been following the progress of your steel, steel mill 
in the suburbs of um, Sofia Krimakovsky for some time. I was wondering when we might see some sort of resolution to that. Mm -hmm. And um, at the back there. Hello, Gerard from the Netherlands, uh, LSE student. Um, is it the right thing to discredit the whole uh, economic model of Ireland? And is it more to do with just the banking crisis there? And also the, 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 like the consequences of that with the history of Ireland. People now you know, losing faith in this new one economy, this, this Celtic tiger, which didn't really consolidate. So when it broke down, it, it broke down as fast as it grew up. Thank you. Thank you. Let's answer them in groups of three. I'll start uh, backwards. Um, is it right to discredit the whole model? I don't think it's right, but I think it's going to happen. In other words, I am one of these economists who think that in terms of the, ec the Irish economic model, it had all the right ingredients. Um, uh, meaning if I, I didn't know about what happened in Ireland now and somebody asked me, I would have said, go look at Ireland. It basically did a lot of good things. I still think so, even despite what's happened. And you can say, well, this was a failure of the banking sector, which to some extent is true, but it begs the question, well, where was the government to look at the banking, uh, uh, the banking sector? The, the overexposure now we know it's so large that it's kind of hard not to, not to see it. And it's, since it's the same government that also did all of these good things, you can say, well, they just kind of missed it. But history is not, uh, not very good at sort of having this uh, misses. So in other words, what I was saying, not that in my mind the whole economic model of Ireland is discredited, but just imagine you trying to go and explain in two years or five years, you should really look at Ireland, they did well economically. It's just is very hard to, to do. It, they did do a number of good, uh, of, uh, of good uh, things, and now they're somehow the good deeds are also punished together with, um, together with the, the bad deeds. Of course, Ireland can prove us wrong and in a short period of time resurrect itself. Uh, it has a fairly flexible economic model. And if that's the case, we can say, well, countries like that grow very fast, then fall quite quickly, and then grow, grow again. But we don't know that. And we don't know in particular whether the new regulation, the new tax system, one of the things actually that is very hotly debated today is whether Ireland should increase its corporate income tax, which at 12.5% is uh, second in the European Union, behind Bulgaria's of uh, 10%. Uh, and I'm one of the people who uh, would say when we meet uh, in a week, no, if they can keep their low corporate income tax, they should because that would help them to, um, to grow faster out of, the, out of the trouble. I'm just saying that philosophically it's very easy now to say this model, something is wrong, uh, is wrong with, uh, with it. Bulgaria has uh, some good, I would say, not great, but good fiscal policy in the last uh, in the last year, year and a half into the crisis, but it also has a lot of uh, problems, as uh, you mentioned. The steel mill problem in Kremikovci is one of the smaller ones, I would say, even though uh, it has not been resolved for a very long uh, time. Um, for those of you who don't know, under socialism, there are a lot of crazy projects all over the socialist countries, but one of them was uh, made in Bulgaria, and the idea was, why don't we put the largest steel mill in the Balkans right next to the capital? Um, you know, it's good polluter, it has very high chimneys, so it would show what industrial development is about to everybody, every capitalist who dares to come here. 
Sorry, it's P. Kremikovci had about 65,000 workers who were making steel. Problem was that there was no actually ore. There was no ore nearby, so it was transported from quite far. There was no coal which is needed in the production, so it was transported from quite far. So it was one of these really stupid ideas that, uh, that typified um, socialist uh, economies. So after socialism fell for a while, um, well, it was clear for everybody that this is not a sustainable enterprise, but 65,000 workers can easily go on strike and uh, a government uh, falls. So rather than kind of basically tell workers, look guys, this was a silly idea, we'll pay you a lot of money just to go away, which, uh, which sounds like non-economist idea, but actually works if you, if you try. Um, successive governments just try to sort of say, well, we'll help you a bit, but not enough. So from 65, they went to 45, 30, 25, and so on. And by the time that our government came in July of uh, last year, there were about 6,000 workers working in Kremikovci, terribly inefficient. Um, it had debt of over a billion uh, left, so about half, uh, half 500 million euro and a lot of other trouble. And this is one of the great things about a new government. Once you come with a new government, you have a very short honeymoon period that you can do things that otherwise you cannot do. So in this one or two first months, we basically said we're closing the place. So that's it. It's shown that it's uh, inefficient. We're closing it. Labor unions decided that, yeah, we're going on strike. It was the summer, so between going on summer holidays and striking, that most of them went on holidays. And we actually closed the place. Um, some of the bondholders who are American, I don't know whether you're among them, but some of the bondholders were very pissed because uh, they would have lost a lot of money. We explained that otherwise the state would lose a lot of money and basically between us losing money and them losing money, we prefer them to lose money. <laughs> and uh, after some argument back and forth, basically the decision prevailed. So now the company is in liquidation, it's being sold piecemeal. So the assets are sold, we've had to rounds of, uh, of auction. Not much has been sold, but I think once the price goes low enough, basically somebody would buy it. And there are some quite interesting ideas. So some Asian, let's say, investment uh, investors want to build a hippodrome, basically to grow horses and just uh, run horses around and so on. There are several other ideas, but the bottom line is Kremikovci is not going to be a steel mill in the future. And I'm actually very happy about that because Sofia is a much cleaner place. And uh, we can always go back to this uh, sort of wonder of socialist development and see this is why we escaped socialism and nobody should ever think about these crazy ideas. And uh, the first question, which was on the private market participation, I wasn't sure whether you want me to comment on Simon's comments, Simon Johnson's comments, or the German idea. I actually like the German idea, the private market participation, kind of for the reason that I mentioned, which is that European institutions have shown that they are not well organized enough to respond quickly enough. And the idea, I think, of the Germans, not I think I know since I've been discussing with them this quite actively, is the private sector sort of follows everything a lot closer. Sometimes they also make mistakes, as we've seen, but at least they have, let's say, prior knowledge of what's happening. And therefore, having private market participation in the scheme ensures us politicians of early warning mechanism. Whether that's going to be accepted by the rest of um, the European Union countries, I have grave doubts, but uh, as an idea, I think the pluses are outweigh the, outweigh the minuses. Okay, um, I have a number of questions. 
I'll take the lady here and then the gentleman there. Just grab it. And lady here first <laughs> and then gentleman there. If you're quick, you might be able to get one more round in. Uh, in your opinion, do European government in the European governments, are there enough ministers that understand economics? Or <laughs> do you think that would help if the percentage increased? Uh, hi, my name is Krasimir. Um, I'm in the master's program in finance and economics. And I was wondering about uh, some of the countries that you mentioned are between Greece and Ireland, and if uh, I understand if you don't accept my question. Uh, but I was interested in uh, specifically in, you mentioned Portugal and also Spain, since it's one of the biggest economies in Europe. And there's a lot of talk about Spain because of its high employment rate; it's like 20%, and uh, a lot of problems with its fiscal policy and its employment policies. And I was wondering, um, going forward. What measures measures do you see that Spain is going to take in order not to fall into a problem? And you see the Spain like having problem all of a sudden, just like Ireland did. Thank you. Okay, and lady there. Thanks. Hi, uh, my name is Claire, and I'm in the European Institute here. And I was wondering if after this crisis, uh, do new um, member states, like Eastern states, do they still want to join the euro? Thank you. Um, I'll be very try to be very diplomatic answering the first questions about the ministers. Um, I'll try to put it that way. Um, so some ministers who are uh, <laughs> who know more than economics um, come typically from countries uh, who are professional politicians. In other words, that's what I'm trying to say. That have good enough uh, advisors and. Uh, and analyst teams that they can actually do quite well just by reading things. So somebody comes, brings something, they read it, look serious, and it sort of works. Um, so uh, so um, uh, some uh, smaller countries uh, have, uh, basically the smaller the country I found, the, um, okay, I'll skip that comment. But <laughs> uh, we but have a very uh, famous quiz show here which says I've started so I'll finish. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Okay, so, so I think on balance there is actually enough, enough analyst capacity for one reason or, 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 or another. It's when you get to the point, and uh, even finance ministers want, want to be very philosophical at times, of what's the right model. And this is why I talked about the Irish economic model. What's the right model from now on? And we actually don't know, and finance ministers also don't uh, don't know. So we somehow need to meet and just discuss that. But uh, we keep being busy with one country or another. So uh, hopefully it uh, happens soon. Spain is actually another country. Um, also a diplomatic answer, I'll try. Spain is actually another country. If somebody had asked me three years ago, after the Irish model, which is the next best uh, model for economic development in uh, Europe, I would have actually pointed out Spain, because while Spain now has very high uh, uh, unemployment, it traditionally ha has had very high structural unemployment, and in the last decade or so, it really shrunk it to, to like a, an average or below average uh, rate, so they did quite, uh, quite uh, well. A lot of this was uh, basically a building boom, and once the building boom stopped, suddenly employment zoomed up more than uh, more than uh, 
any other country. And I think, as I was discussing the domino effect, I think this is the major risk that Europe holds, and this is what most people are either saying or not saying, but they're worrying about. Greece, sort of everybody knew that there is a big trouble then, something needs to happen. Ireland is somewhat of a surprise when it happens, but not a big surprise in terms of the overexposure of the banking sector and so on. Peop but uh, in terms of size, um, Greece is about 2% of Europe's GDP. It's tiny in terms of Europe's GDP. Ireland is about 3%, a bit more than 3% of Europe's GDP, also not that large. Portugal is about 4%, so altogether they're 10%. Spain, however, is quite another matter. It's, it's 12, 13%, something like that. So, in other words, Greece, Ireland, even Portugal, on their own are not yet enough to kind of raise the big issue of what's happening to the European economy. Spain is, so if you add a Spain, and hopefully we never have to think about that, then basically the whole model of the Eurozone and what's happening to the European economies, are we out of the crisis or we are going to see another dip? Because one of these packages, uh, financial packages, one of the results of them is that typically even if you have a fiscal resolution, the economy goes down for another year or two. So Greece and Romania are currently, for 2011, the only two European economies that have forecast of negative economic growth. Both of them have IMF programs. Both of them have, have gone through this uh, process. Now that Ireland is going through a package, one can bet that 2011 is not going to look very good for the Irish economy. And then the question is, well, what if Portuguese economy is the same? What is Spanish? Then we're into another year of recession, possibly for 2011 in Europe. And then Europe looks not like the place to... Um, to be for some uh, for some time, but I'm very optimistic and confident in fact that we are not going to be discussing Spain because Spain, Spanish government has taken some of the right uh, uh, the right steps and uh, the economy there has shown to be quite 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 more resilient than uh, it was 10 20 years ago. And the last topic on the euro, why are some of the small East European countries still want to join the euro? Estonia, as you know, is joining uh, January 1st. Bulgaria is one of the countries that wants to join. Why? Well, the answer is obvious. The European Union has asked Bulgaria to join the Eurozone so that one, there is one more fiscally responsible, serious country that helped Germany and the Netherlands and Finland and uh, <laughs> so on. But that, of course, is not discussed widely, so that why, that's why I cannot give you this, um, this answer. Um, so the official answer is that... Uh, Bulgaria has been, uh, the Bulgarian currency, the left, has been tied to the euro since 1999 and before to the Deutsche Mark since 1997. So basically we've had 14 years of tied currency to, to the euro, essentially. So we have all the negatives of uh, basically the European monetary policy and no positives of, uh, of it in the sense that we don't have the lower interest rates that countries that are in the eurozone yet. So in some sense, since you have the negatives, you might as well have the positives. So we are trying to do everything that we can while there is still a Eurozone to join the Eurozone and help it from uh, inside. Thank you. <laughs> We're getting very, very close to the end of time. I'm just going to squeeze in two more very quick questions. Um, I had two gentlemen just down here. Thank you. Could you please keep it very brief? Thank you. Peter Petkov, the uh, publisher of Energy Risk magazine. At the moment, government is uh, really looking at the nuclear power plant and whether to invest or not or how to. This is not a project that was inherited from uh, communist times, as you described earlier. 
what is the rationale behind your decision making for this energy project in view that uh, uh, this is energy generation with virtually zero emissions in the atmosphere Hi, I'm Brian Sturgis, the uh, editor of World Economics. Uh, really just one statement and a quick question. The statement is I uh, agree with you on, on Eurostat. I, I did a study quite recently showing that um, the problems with Greece had been uh, revealed within Eurostat as, as early as 2004 and a continuing mm -hmm. series of backwards and forwards between Eurostat. But there was no, there's no powers in Eurostat to actually uh, cope with, with fraudulent data. Um, and that problem, still, that problem certainly still exists. Uh, the, the one on, on terms of the model, it's probably a country that you're, you're familiar with, Georgia. Georgia, if you link it with Azerbaijan, Az Azerbaijan is an is a oil-rich country with uh, a large shadow economy and some corruption. Georgia is a, is a country without uh, natural resources, but which is actually taking the, the island route uh, yeah. in terms of cutting down corruption having a low, low rate of tax and, and, and um, deregulating the economy. Uh, uh, both neither part members of the European Union, of course, but this, this might be your, uh, your test case for the future. Mm -hmm. uh, thank you. On the nuclear power station, nuclear power seems to be uh, coming back into fashion uh, all over, actually, Europe. Earlier today, I was at a conference discussing nuclear. Uh, nuclear power. Uh, this project has been discussed in Bulgaria since 1984, which is an interesting year for those of you who have read the book. Um, um, and since then has been started three times, stopped three times, and now indeed, as you say, there is a discussion whether this nuclear power project, this our second nuclear power station, if it's built, uh, is a good investment and not, or not. Uh, it was designed with Russian technology once, then redesigned again with Russian technology a second time, and now we have this uh, lively debate in Bulgaria. Um, on uh, how to go about it. As a finance minister, I've taken sort of the unpopular but extreme view that uh, since I don't know actually whether we need so much power uh, in uh, Bulgaria, and having just told you what crazy projects like Kremikovci Steel Mill have been built in the past that use, used a lot, uh, a lot of power for producing not so efficient things, my view is that the government um, should not put a penny into this project, N neither as uh, investment, nor as government guarantees, nor taking loans for it, and so on. So basically, financially, what I'm saying is that we're out of this project. But if there are investors who want to build it, then we'll just make sure that we regulate it in a way that it's a safe, uh, safe place to build uh, uh, energy. In other words, the discussion has gone away in the past. Sorry, I say this because the previous socialist government, socialist governments, you know, get countries into trouble usually, um, had said not only we'll build it, but we'll finance most of it. And once our government came, I said no financing from the government side. But if there is an investor who wants to work with, uh, with uh, the Russians and the Bulgarians in building it, you know, then it's not a finance issue, it's sort of a, a political issue, and then we may go along. So currently we're in the search of, um, of investors where the Serbian government had initially said that they can invest in it, the Russians themselves had said that they would invest in it, and there are a couple of other investors that, um, 
that have expressed some interest. Interestingly, the Chinese have said, well, buy the whole thing and build it if you like, but uh, that's, uh, that may be a different uh, project. And then, on th so this is the situation. Now we are looking whether there is an investor, because, because if it's a good project, it goes to the private participation in, in the resolution. If the private sector says, okay, it's a good project, we build it, fine. So then the state will just, uh, will just regulate it. On the Eurostat, uh, what you said is precisely right. It needs to be repeated again and again. Since 2004, Eurostat said the Greek statistics are, they put it very, very mildly and diplomatically, are troubling, let's say. Uh, but nobody listened to them in 2004, 2005, 6, 7, 8, and they only listened to them in 2009. And this is kind of a good excuse for Eurostat, and I take it, but the question is, well, why didn't anybody listen to them, especially given the glaring, the glaring trouble with, um, with what we know uh, now? So it still shows that European institutions don't work. It, however, gets the blame off of Eurostat and says, well, they report to somebody. Who do they report to? To the commissioner for finance, to the commissioner that I work with, well, the previous one. Why didn't he do anything? And then the answer is we don't know. So I think still a change is necessary. And yes, Georgia does go the Irish way. It goes back to the point of the Dutch uh, student there. Is the Irish economic model completely discredited? I don't think it is completely discredited. I wish that actually it gets... Uh, resurrected sometime soon, since actually a number of countries are, are following it. Here the question that uh, is difficult to answer is how come that one government had good economic policies and bad financial policies, and, or banking policies, if you like. And this is sort of difficult to come up with a good answer. I, if we do come up with this, uh, with this answer, then I think we'll be able to use the good parts of the Irish model. There are many of those and somehow uh, reconcile them with uh, what happened to be not so good decision-making. Thank, Thank you very, very much. Um, <laughs> can, I, can, I all, can I please ask you all to remain seated just for a minute until the Minister, uh, Deputy Prime Minister has a chance to leave, and then please exit via the back. Thank you all for coming this evening, and thank you, APCO Worldwide, for continued sponsorship. Thank, thank you, you very much. Thank you.